The following is a Barrett Sports Media production. There are two sides to the broadcast industry, content creators and money makers. This podcast is for that second group, sellers, buyers, managers, anyone with an interest in business. You're all welcome here. This is Seller to Seller. Now, here's your host, Jeff Cabes. Reza Hariri has been a San Francisco Bay Area media exec for going on 25 years, but he's done a lot more. He's held sales management positions with Clear Channel as a VP of sales for Univision, a regional director of sales at Monster.com and Westwood One. And until 2017, he was with Intercom, where Reza was the director of business development. He also now works as the chief revenue officer at MyMelo. We'll talk a little bit about that. It's a music audio company that works with music labels, artists, local uh, businesses, listeners, and radio stations. He's also a regional VP for Estrella Media, which focuses on Hispanic TV, radio, and digital and other things, including sports and sponsorship sales. I found out you were also a college football coach and assistant to a coach with the San Diego Chargers before all this media stuff began. So I wonder what made you jump off that train and into the media business? After coaching at Cal State in Northridge and uh, coaching much like media these days is a not for long league, uh, whether you're getting fired, hired, moving around, uh, and I'd been doing it a lot. All I owned was a bed and a TV because you move around so much. And right. Came up to the Bay Area um, to interview at San Jose State and, and had some other offers from some smaller schools, Portland State and, and uh, University of Idaho, and wasn't really sure if I was going to continue on that route, really wanted to stay in the Bay Area. And, and when the San Jose State gig didn't quite work out, I wasn't ready to move out to you know Portland or, or Idaho at the time. So Started kind of uh, setting up some interviews, thinking I could do something for a year and then go back and, and put my name in the hat for some other opportunities um, and, and wrote an informational interview to the general manager at, uh, at the time, uh, KML, which was a station I grew up listening to in the Bay Area, iconic okay. hip hop station. And, you know, to be honest with you, I thought it was more for an on-air gig or something like that. I didn't really <laughs> so. I wrote him this and this guy, you know, big New York Giants fan, Dick Kelly, uh, a, a famous name in the Bay Area at the time and big sports fan. So he saw my resume, saw the football portion, called me in, didn't know some kid was walking in 28 years old. And we talked sports for about two hours and told me to go meet the general sales manager, which I had no idea what that meant and sat with this guy. And uh, next thing you know, I'm in a, I'm in a cubicle with a phone book and uh, dialing for dollars, trying to figure it out. And rose up rather quickly because I always believe in leadership and that's what I enjoyed more out of it. But I felt like if I could recruit kids to come to my school, I could sell uh, hip hop and, and, and things kind of just progress from there. So Intercom goes through transitions with CBS. You move into my mellow. Why, why did that happen? You know, I loved radio, enjoyed the people in the Bay Area. It's a very close knit community. And when the merger was happening, that year and a half wasn't a lot of fun. And I'd always had a lot of fun. I mean, listen, you know, the ups and downs and everything, but mm-hmm. it stopped being fun for me. I always told myself when it stopped being fun, I, I don't want to do it anymore. And, and it, it, it really stopped being fun for me at Intercom at that point. And um, this opportunity arose with my mellow where, you know, a really smart guy, Zan Alexander had approached me when I was at Univision about this thing he had. And Obviously, he spoke over my head because this guy had worked at NASA and ran Walmart e-commerce, and I didn't understand what he's talking <laughs> about. But 
when I got to Intercom, he called me and said, hey, let me talk to you about revenue. Let me talk to you about engagement. And I was like, this is great. And we, we sat down and talked. And the more me and him talked and the more I kind of consulted, mm-hmm. you know, he talked to me and I, I just kind of said, this looks like the great opportunity is what I want to do. I had a launch party and can at the, you know, the music festival that's out there right before Lyon. And I'm like, this is what I want to do. And, you know, kind of made kind of a rash decision without our funding completely being in and uh, mm-hmm. leave the radio world. But, you know, you, you make decisions and, and, and you don't look back. And what I've learned in the last four years equates to an MBA and kind of made my mind a little bit different from the way we think in radio and how we've always done things the same way and mm-hmm. hoping things are going to change. And, to a new way of thinking of, you know what, you can strategize in a completely different way and you can you can find different ways that it'll work. And you're talking about legacy businesses that aren't doing anything to improve themselves. And how do you think differently to eventually help these? Because as you look at the cycle, the same thing happens, right? You go through up, down, fire a bunch of people, start over the next year and you know hope things are going to change and add a podcast or add something thinking your revenue is going to change. But are they thinking different? Are they bringing something different to advertisers that actually matters? So mm-hmm. this transition in thinking, you said you got an MBA when you left the radio business and I'm sure you look back on it now and, and you may think I shouldn't have been, you know, why couldn't I have gotten an MBA in the radio business from your perspective? Cause you've been in the hallways where the money changers really are in the radio business. What's what stops them from giving a little bit of that profit margin back to make it bigger and grow, what stops that the industry from doing this? Early on the radio business, and I got in kind of at the beginning of the tail end, you know, in, in, in late 98. And, you know, just in the halls at Clear Channel at the time, where it started AM, FM, and, and, and then, you know, eventually got bought out by, we were doing $120 million just in that building alone. You look at all the things that have happened. I mean, what is podcasting? Podcasting is basically talk radio and sports radio, right? That's the origin origination of podcasting and the whole streaming lane. Radio had that. They could have they could have completely owned that, and there would have been no Spotify or Pandora. I mean, radio doesn't pay those streaming rights that these other guys pay. They don't have to pay the artist the way it does, and they could have had this profitable business. And I think they just state status quo and they you know it's run by people that have been doing it for a really long time who stop thinking out of the box right like we're in the content business right i mean all whether you're in tv or radio you're in the content business and the only way you're going to keep your audience is by providing content now the one thing radio had an advantage of it was free when you and i came up radio broke music i mean it came yeah it was iconic for breaking incredible artists and you know playing the first B.I.G., Notorious B.I.G. song and things like that and having rallies like Sway and, you know, but but it doesn't do that anymore. You know, it's got to be a hit on Spotify. It's got to get enough streams before radio plays it a year later. And I think the PPM and all that stuff has all had something to do with it. You know, you're not programming the station the way it once was programmed. And, you know, my, my thought process is this transition from terrestrial to digital and from linear to you know, OTT and CTV has happened. And obviously COVID pushed that radio should have been prepared and radio should have had content out there. Radio had DJs that could have done all the different stuff mm-hmm. that's happening during the pandemic. And that was all content to drive people back. And if you, if you give them something 
that's worthwhile and that they can stream and go on your website and watch content that's incredible. I mean, think of all the archive shows that some of these stations have that you can go back and look at Summer Jam 96 and look at some of these great artists that perform. Yeah. You would actually go in and watch and you can make money off. So, but I mean, I think even when you come with those ideas to people, there's still a lot of naysayers out there and they want to do things the same way. And they're like, oh, we have podcasts and we have playlists and we have streaming, but are you doing it the way that people actually care about it? Let me, let me transition back to the business development piece. Cause that, that's one thing I want to focus on here. Cause I think all of us in sales uh, benefit from experience that, that you've had and how your role at intercom worked where the sales managers, the salespeople sort of all look to you for strategy. And there may be guys listening to this and girls listening to this and say, I have bigger ideas that can set our agenda. Is that how it worked for you? Describe the job. No, I mean, it was, I mean, it, it, it was that by title, but really I ran two of their stations, which was Q102, which was a hip hop station that we relaunched and KBLX, which is kind of an iconic R&B station. And then I was kind of the right-hand man to the GM, you know, working with the other managers. But in the business development role, we what we tried to work on is getting everyone to use the cluster and use the assets as a way to, you know, give the clients what they need, right? I mean, if you're a quite seller and that's all you sell, but somebody wants to buy Q102, why shouldn't you be able to have the opportunity to say, hey, listen, I got some concerts and I got some things that might be of value to you. You don't have to buy me for quite, or, you know, we had obviously the game and, and sports was a big deal and, and saying, Hey, you know what? We have the Oakland A's or we have the Warriors or we have the Raiders, different ways to think and, and, and do that. And, and I think people had good ideas. I think people thought execution wasn't always, you know, very smooth and, it, and it's, it's a little bit tough as you're trying to get approvals on what you can and can't do on, on, uh, the air. But one thing I realized, and I was just talking to some guys in my company about it, is the ideas don't really change. You're going to make a difference of one to two percent, maybe, right? Because you're doing basically the same thing. You're not stepping out of yourself and going, okay, what else can I really do? Where can we really take this? How can I monetize my own audience, right? I have a million people queued that listen to me a week. What if I can make a dollar and make this an e-commerce site? Like we're not thinking out of the box, we're just like, okay, well, I can give them some free spots on this station and maybe mm. give them greater sponsorship and right. you know, right. they can do the pregame. And like, I mean, right. no, the guy in my seat after me is going to do the same exact thing that I did, you know? Yeah. Even with the people you counsel now or yourself, uh, but probably more along the lines of guys who are carrying a list of clients, how, how should they split their time between retention, which can fuel growth or true new business development? Well, you know, I mean, I, I guess the short answer is business development is always how you're going to feed yourself and, and continue to grow as, as you have attrition. But we get kind of complacent because the accounts you have on is what's feeding you now, right? It's that instant mm -hmm. gratification and you're working very hard to make sure they're on and maybe try to grow them one, two, five percent, ten percent per year. Whereas if you could, and, and one of the things digital does is they have an account manager. So after you sell, there's somebody who actually looks after the account and, and helps and you go in and try to upsell, but you move on to another account and you move on to something else. And, you know, nowadays the selling cycle a is a lot longer, three to six months, if you're going to land a really big client and sometimes even longer. And I think we get caught up in, well, I'm talking to the agency and that's what they do. And, and the agency, by the time it gets to the agency, that buyer who's 23 or 24 years old now, 
doesn't care one way or another. It's just what's on her buy sheet. I got to buy the game because they have mails and this is what I'm paying for it and yada, yada, yada. But if you have a chance to get with the client and if you get with, let's just say, for example, the Bay Area, you know, Chevron is a big account and you get to Chevron and you're selling Hispanic and you get to their multicultural person and you're like, okay, what are you guys doing for the community? And you've had a couple of, uh, you know, big issues within some of these communities. So what are you going to do to make up for that? Now you're not worried about the agency or anybody. They're making a separate buy with a separate budget that they have to go to. And you're seeing that kind of movement, you know, the black and brown movement as advertisers are now getting, you know, pushed to spend with, you know, black content creators or Hispanic content creators because it wasn't being done before. And the reality is when it comes to brands, how you associate with a brand, if you see someone who looks like you, if you see someone who talks like you and brings you back to a better place, a safe place, you're going to associate with that brand that's advertising to you. The old way, like, when I worked at KML and you had the Kia dealership that the guy just bought KGO TV, mm-hmm. I'm like, well, why wouldn't you buy hip hop? That's your audience. Well, I don't listen to KML. I'm like, oh. your audience does, right? Like, how do you? Who cares? <laughs> right. Like, who cares? You're trying to sell cars. When it comes to the the selling you're doing and what you're talking about and chasing the brands and the, the, the people at the brand level and the corporate level. Do you think it's imperative then that you chase them with the idea in mind, then go for pain points? But to get through all those gatekeepers, you got an email, you got walk-in, you got you could hire a company to give you leads. What are your thoughts on that, on that piece of it? For me, the thing that's worked the best is network, right? Like, who do I know in my network that knows somebody somewhere big? And then once you find that, I mean, yes, you can pay people to get you the right emails and stuff like that, but... Think about how many emails come through your inbox. I mean, I see 50, 60 vendors a day that are trying to get our business for whatever reason. And half of them don't even know what I do and are, hey, you need a phone system. You know, they're, they're wasting their own time. So how do I, A, write something, one or two sentence that's going to grasp their attention? And that comes from knowing their pain points. But most, most, most of us sellers just, we try to sell on email or we try to sell on the voicemail. And, and I look at it as small steps, much like a football practice, right? As you're getting better from individual drills to, you know, one-on-ones to seven-on-sevens to 11-on-elevens to game day. It, it's the same way I think in selling. My first goal should be to get a response. My second goal should be, can I get a meeting? Each one of those things is a sale, right? Each one of those things is moving the sales process forward. So if people thought like that, and again, it's tough because again, you're trying to sell this thing and it's a, it's a long process to sell it. Then your manager comes down. Here's a one sheet. We got to sell this other thing. You know, today is Raider day and drop mm-hmm. everything on and I need you to sell this package. And another agenda comes down from corporate and we got to do this. And, mm-hmm. and it throws people off and you can't work towards that process of you know, really building credibility, really coming up with an idea, really getting to sit down with a client and mm-hmm. going back and forth and solving a problem. I can't sell them a green shirt if that's not what they buy. Right, right. In in general, would you be more in favor of, you know, somebody who's got, you know, three to five years experience in what they're doing for, for that person to essentially chase fewer accounts with better information than a lot of accounts with, you know, sketchy information, trying to do a bunch of CNAs to figure out if they need what you got. And so you really shotgun it. I don't believe in reinventing the wheel. So if your automotive is what you want to go after, then, then find Honda 
and learn everything about the Honda dealers and get to know every one of these Honda dealers, the GM, the board and everything like that and just work that account and you don't have to reinvent the wheel by sending 50 different proposals. You can take a proposal knowing exactly what Honda does and then you can tweak it based on each Honda dealer and you can tweak it based on you know, their regional director and you can tweak it based on their tier one needs and you can, you can go from there. And again, you're gonna be known by all the dealers because you're making your route constantly of talking to each one and the same thing, whether you go through healthcare, whether, you, you know, wh whatever vertical you choose, get to know it, get to know the players and, and start working because two, three, 10 of them may not like your idea, but all it takes is one of them to like your idea and you started the process of, of winning in that vertical. Do you have these same exercises that you do now with what you do day to day? Maybe it's in hiring. You, you, you go out and make new contacts and you work your referrals and you're trying to find different and better people, or do you have other people sort of setting this up and then you're the closer? I think it's, it's more the latter being the closer and, and, and getting in once they do the legwork and then you find out exactly what they are pitching and what they're doing that I can sit in a meeting and it's old school. Like when you go buy a car and the manager comes in and you're like, all right, he's going to, you know, it's that thing where they feel like you're going to help make the decision. And it's not this back and forth of what can I get you and what can I do for you? And this mm -hmm. and that. And the one thing I've realized and, and, and I didn't realize it as much as a young seller, because you're just trying to make things happen. And I think when you have a really good idea, the idea sells itself and that's it here. Here's what it takes to pay for this idea. And you can either afford it or you can't being in the room as, as, as part of the solution. And sometimes it's just paying the check at lunch and, other times is, you know, helping kind of communicate that idea that your seller has because you know what they're trying to do, but they don't have the same kind of verbal skills or, or closing skills that you may have. Lastly, so you're in San Francisco, you're in the Bay Area, you're really all over the country, and you're looking at a lot of different things than just what a sports seller at the game in San Francisco is looking at today. What do you think are the best opportunities in sports when you look at from here and moving forward, because we got a lot of people listening to this that love to sell sports and be identified with it. Maybe there's other audio sports opportunities or something that you think are, are ripe for uh, somebody to be involved with. It's a passion seller. For a local seller who's going to the car dealer, who's going, those guys love the team. You know, they're either a Niner fan. And how do you tie them into the team, right? The flyaways, the tickets to the game, all the stuff they're going to like, all the perks that come with it. But you know, outside of that, I think the number one thing right now in sports, and I don't know if you would agree with me or not, but gambling, right? I mean, right. No, I'd agree with you. <laughs> California with this, you know, Prop 27, if it passes, which I think it will, it's going to open up the door with interaction with, you know, obviously FanDuel and DraftKings is behind it. But I mean, you got Bally's, you got Caesars, all these other people trying for people's services. So there's opportunities, whether it's Westwood One, who has sports or Intercom, who has sports, they're going to work with these, you know, gambling outfits. And, and it's going to be an interactive thing for the fans where they can bet during the game and live bet. And I think there's a lot of upside, not only them as a client, but different ways you can tie in. If radio can continue to figure out through data, how they can, uh, monetize it as a, as a form like if they you know if they can bet through your website and you get a percentage of it from DraftKings and you're promoting it yourself and but I mean obviously the first thing for sports sellers is is passion points right who, who love sports and then how do you tie those passion points into a return on investment because right now 
the branding thing is is cute, but I think everybody has someone to answer to when you got to eventually turn it into sales. So how do you turn that Raider sponsorship or that Warrior sponsorship into sales, whether, you know, it's a pair of tickets and enough test drives will, you know, win somebody a pair of tickets or different ways to get people to walk through someone's door or, you know, having a player show up at a, you know, AT&T kiosk for signing autographs and, you know, how do you get people through the door? And, and, and again, these ideas are nothing revolutionary. It's what people have done. But I think if you can get outside of these ideas and figure out how do you tie in with the DraftKings, how do you tie in with people and start making radio e-commerce and actually making money off your own listeners, I think, I think that would be a different way to look at it. Thanks to Reza Hariri. If you can find more about him, you can probably do it at LinkedIn. Rate, review, and pass along this pod. Write to me at jeffks54 at gmail.com. More topics, great conversations like this. Reach out to me if you're near Flower Mound, Texas, or Dallas. Check out my articles on sports radio sales at barrettsportsmedia.com. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Seller to Seller with Jeff Caves. Each episode is available on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, the iHeart app, and most podcasting platforms. To stay in touch with Jeff, follow him on Twitter at Jeff Caves and read his sales columns on BarrettSportsMedia.com.